Get yourself some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back, the MMA edition. Ready to pass your guard with another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Ready to get you fired up for all things UFC 217 with my co-host and main man, my tag team partner, the one and only King Mo, Muhammad Lawal, who will join me to recap the weekend that was in MMA, including big wins from Derek Brunson and Colby Covington. And King Mo will also be filling us in on the latest ahead of Sunday's Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory pay-per-view in Canada, which will feature the King's return to the squared circle in a tag team cage match opposite one Stefan Bonner you do not want to miss. But that's just an appetizer for our preview of the aforementioned UFC 217 card on Saturday in NYC, where we answer the tough questions. Is GSP butting off more than he can chew? Is Rose Namajunas crazy enough to give Yuan a champion a legitimate test? And is Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw, for the Bantamweight title, the best fight on paper in 2017? Listen, and you will find out. But we will get to that and a lot more momentarily with the King. Let me remind you first, one more time, to subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, and shout us out on social media using that hashtag in this corner. It is much, much appreciated. Also, be sure to slide into them DMs, yes, with questions. For myself or King Mo that we will answer on this show. Hit me up on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. DM season is upon us. The doors are wide open. Slide right in. But without any further ado, it's time to make that audio magic. TBC and King Mo coming back at you for another week of the audio magic. King Mo, this is a busy weekend. We will preview every single inch of UFC 217 from MSG and NYC. Really, maybe the biggest MMA card of the year on paper. We're going to recap this weekend, but King Mo, Sunday night. Maybe for this show's purposes, a card that's a little bit more important. Impact Wrestling, Bound for Glory, the pay-per-view, Aberdeen Pavilion in Ottawa. Welcome back to the show, King Mo. Are you fired up for this? Where are you at right now? Well, honestly, I'm going to be real with you. I get more fired up when we get to the arena. You know, because, you know, like, if I get too fired up, then I start to get nervous. You uh-huh. know what I'm saying? I don't like to, I don't like to feel nervous. I just like to chill and I wait till we get to the arena. Well, King Mo splashing back into the pool of sports entertainment on Sunday night, the Six Sides of Steel match, a really fun angle that has been built. We're going to see Moose and UFC Hall of Famer Stefan Bonner against King Mo, you're the man of the hour, and Bobby Lashley. King Mo, we've played a lot of sound on this podcast on The Build. There's been a lot of fun promos that were cut, a lot of sequences of action at the ATT gym. Here's what Stefan Bonner had to say this week on Impact Wrestling about you. One time I was at uh, Mayweather's boxing gym and I sparred with King Mo, knocked his ass out cold. Yeah, King Mo knows me. He knows me. He knows what happened last time he got in the ring with me. It didn't end too well for him. And that's going to be in the back of his head. I got a huge psychological advantage. Oh, yeah, King Mo. King Mo, I, I respect the business too much to ask you if that ever happened. But come on, this is great stuff. Man, I can't outlisten the girl's name, Stephanie. You know what I'm saying? Stephanie Bonner be lying, man. We never sparred. If we were sparred, trust me, he he wouldn't remember it. 
I would, though, because I'll put his ass in a coma. You would have given him the one hit a quitter, as you like to say. Man, one hit a quitter, stiff jab. He would have been in a coma cushion. This guy Bonner, though, always comical, always fun. He's been a big part of this match. King Mo did respond to him this week. The cage is my home. I've been in the cage, I don't know how many times, over 20 times. And I've left the cage healthy, unscathed. You know what I'm saying? I might have lost some, but I've won a lot more. I have way more experience in the cage than Stephanie and Bullwinkle. And I'm going to make them pay. When they step foot in that cage, they're going to pay the price with nap time. Oh, yeah, nap time. That's what we're talking about. Kingmo, this angle has been about Bobby Lashley and, you know, ATT coach Dan Lambert saying, you got to come back to MMA full-time. Enough fooling around with wrestling. It led to Moose getting involved. Is there anything on, at stake here in the Six Sides of Steel match? Or is this just basically the culmination of a long grudge match? Uh, it's a little bit of everything. Culmination of a long grudge match. The honor of American top teams at stake. And MMA as a whole. We're representing MMA as a whole. So we have to go out there and let it be known that we're not going to lose to no pro wrestlers. We're going to go out there and handle business in that cage. And make sure we represent America Top Team and MMA well. We got we got represent. Let you, let them be known. Let, let it be known that we're not there to lay down and play around. We're there to lay people down and get that rear hand raised. And how about this turncoat Bonner? Right, you know you're fighting for the honor of MMA, and he's jumping to the other side with the, with the, with Moose here. What's going on with that? I think he's confused. Bonner's confused. I think he's hurt because pretty much when his MMA time was up, we would we just let him go. We we lost interest in him. And I, th- I think I think you know pro wrestlers saw that they they had a star that they need to put too, too much time into. And they're like, hey, you know, there's Bonner. No one's messing with him. Let's let's grab him and bring him to pro wrestling. And that's what they did. You know, he's a traitor. Well, King Mo, Sunday night you'll be back in there on a pay per view, Bound for Glory. You you got the ring entrance all all down. You got the music picked. I mean, this is this is the return for King Mo. You haven't been inside that ring in a while here. I'm pumped. I, I'm I just want to see the presentation. Maybe we'll bring back the the women from the old uh, Pride Days walking around you in Japan. I mean, come on. Uh, we'll see. You know, um, right now um, the main goal is to stay healthy and, uh, and go into uh, Bound for Glory with 110 percent focus. So right now I'm I'm gonna handle I'm gonna handle just the focus part, the, the 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 ring walk and the presentation just comes just comes organically. You know what I'm saying? I just let that fly. It comes I let that, it just comes naturally. But ATT is your house, and it was disrespected. So King Mo will represent and protect that. Looking forward to this, to say the least. Like we mentioned, an already busy weekend. King Mo, we had a couple good fights this past weekend at UFC Fight Night, Sao Paulo in Brazil. The main event, holy cow, Derek Brunson just needed two minutes and 30 seconds. KO1 over Leota Machida, the former light heavyweight champion, coming back after 18 months off due to the PED suspension. He looked in great shape, Machida, King Mo. He talked about mentally being in a much better place than he'd been basically throughout the entire second half of his career. But then he walked into a left hand, and that good time story was then dead and gone. Brunson, hey. He's feast or famine, but when he brings the pop, you know, you got to get out of the way of it. Yeah, um, and Derek Brunson shows, you know, showed his pedigree. You know, he has power, um, good wrestling. Honestly, if you watch the fight, that was a Leo Machida fight. That fight was going Leo Machida's way. He's landing the counters, avoiding Derek Brunson's strikes. He controlled the distance and the range. It's just that um, when he went to counter, he was too upright, and Derek Brunson threw a counter left 
like a modified left hook, you know, the southpaw. So it was a nasty, like rear-handed left hook you threw um, after you got countered and uh, just just clipped and you know rocked um, Lieto. Now, if Lieto would have came with that counter and stayed down an inch or two or a little longer, the, the shot would have went over his head or he would have blacked it. But he, when he threw that counter, he popped right up and Derek just – with the, the timing he had, he just threw that left hook and made uh, the square on the button. Brunson looked great. I mean, he, I say feast or famine because he's got a lot of first-round knockouts on his record. But then when he steps up to that highest level, you know, he pawed against Anderson Silva and didn't really go after it. He was way too cautious. Then he was overly aggressive against Robert Whitaker. This may have been, I mean, it was only 2 minutes and 30 seconds, but this was a much more mature version of him looking to land that counter strike. Didn't put himself too much into harm's way when on paper – Stylistically, this isn't the best matchup for Derek Brunson, right? A guy who sometimes can be too aggressive walking in there against a dangerous counter striker, but man, he really landed the one type of shot that's going to turn the, 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 turn the direction of a fight around. Yeah, he landed that one shot. Um, but honestly, he was composed, which is good, but really I feel like he was, his timing was off or something like that. Cause he, leading into that, he couldn't get any strikes go. He couldn't land main strikes. And uh, it got to the point where he got he was kind of chasing Lyoto. If you notice, Lyoto was like getting low and shuffling away, and would land like a like a, a, a jab or a straight left and circle away. And Derek was like they're playing cat and mouse, but really it was it was Lyoto taking the lead. But Derek had to be Derek had to had to you know settle down and be like you know what I can't rush in anything because the times he's rushed he's gotten caught with Derek with the Whitaker and with Jacare he ran into those shots. So this time he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna chase. I'm a, I'm gonna be composed, and that's what he did. Uh, he, um, kind of a catch and shoot, except uh, instead of blocking the shot, he kind of ate a little shot and came back with his own. And that's like, if, for instance, that's what um, Andre Ward did to Kovalev before he, you know, right when he hurt him in the second fight. Kovalev landed a good jab. Ward kind of back with his good right hand. And that changed the whole fight around. That one punch right there completely turned the tide. Uh, Machida was given a lot of respect from the referee and the fact that he took three extra flush punches while on his back that he didn't need to. Suddenly the referee comes diving in looking for a tackle. Ah, tough stoppage there. It looked like Machida took a little bit more than he needed to. King Mo, I was, look, the fan in me, the journalist in me predicted a Machida uh, win because I kind of thought this was the right matchup for him. But the fan in me really wanted to see this. I'm not going to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. Welcome to the Machida era. I wanted to see that all over again, like when he took out our guy Rashad back in the day. But, you know, he is 39. This is another loss to the former champ who is now, when you look at the record, has lost three, out, four out of his last five. Uh, I don't know his contract situation, but is it Bellator time here for him? I mean, are we at that point? Well, I would say so because the thing is, like, People think that just because a guy's losing in the UFC, Bellator's going to sign him. It's not the case. Like, Bellator might not even sign him. He might end up having to go to Japan, you know. Like, Bellator's not a breeding ground for the guys that had a struggling struggling career or guys that are on the last leg in the UFC. You know, well, people think that. Now, it might be if they want to they want to have a super fight to, to, to put a spotlight on other fighters that are up and coming. Like, like what they do at Piccolotti and what they did with some guys on the Kimbo Slice um, – um, Dada 5000 card, you know, that card, they put Kimbo Slice and Dada, they put um, Shamrock and uh, and Voice uh, as the main event, co-main event. But the undercard, the, the card was stacked with guys, lesser name guys. I guess what I mean, I don't mean it in a disrespectful sense, like, oh, you've lost four out of five, you know, Scott Coker, line one. I don't mean it like that. I just mean it like 
a lot of guys, you know, Vitor Belfort was in this situation in his last fight against Gastelum, where it's like, against the very elite, you're probably not going to win. And if you're probably not going to win at this point, you may be getting knocked out kind of brutally, yet you still got it to a certain degree. Is it better for you to be in a place that's a little bit more of a soft landing where you can be in main events against other veterans who have name value? Is that just a better spot for you to be in than fighting the next guy in line, up and comer, and hoping you're not going to get knocked cold? Well, who says it can't happen in, in Bellator? We saw Shamanko and, 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 uh, and uh, Musasi. You know, who knows? I, I, I don't know what weight class uh, Leo's going to go. Is he going to go to 185 or is he going to come to 205? If he comes to 205, he's going to get smashed. You know, he's going to be too small. 185, he might have a chance, but at the same time, who knows if he can beat Salter? Who knows if he can beat Musasi? Who knows if he can beat um, Shlomenko, if Shlomenko's still around? You know, hey, give me a against... Rampage rematch at this point. These are the type of fights I'm talking about for Machida right now. Well, Rampage is back in the, is going to be back in the UFC as well. You know, or may, I don't know what he's going to do. If he's even going to fight again, who knows? He's talking you know, about like... boxing. He's talking, he's all over the place. Maybe an A-team sequel. I don't know, King. I'm not managing him. Yeah, well, you know, that's because his heart's not in the MMA no more. So, you know, I, I who knows what Leo's going to do? Um, I think that, you know, if I were him, I'd, I'd like to see how he, how he is after one, you know, one more fight because, you know, um, 18 months is a long time. You know, it's a long layoff. You know, he probably give a chance, chance, give, give him time for his body to heal. But at the same time, you know, he probably looked a little rusty. You know, actually, he looked rusty. Probably, probably had doubts, most likely. You know what I'm saying? You're riding a three fight loser streak. Then you have a long break and you come back to another killer, Derek Bronson. He might have had some doubts. All right, Brunson, age 33, was ranked seven, seventh in the UFC middleweight rankings coming in. His only losses during this stretch, which goes back to 2014, has been the aforementioned Whitaker fight and that weird fight with Anderson Silva where, Whitaker, where Brunson didn't really push the pace, and a lot of people thought he still should have won that one. So is there reason to believe we haven't seen the best of Brunson? Is he, in your mind, peaking toward getting to the level of maybe the biggest fight of his career coming up? I, I I don't know what to see. What to see because only time would tell. I think that Bronson has improved. You know, I think he called out Luke Rockhold for the next fight. I don't know if he's ready for Luke. You know, what, you know, I I don't know. Luke Luke's a different animal, but at the same time, if Derek Brunson if Derek Brunson is confident he could beat Luke, then give him the chance to fight Luke. Yeah, I, I'd love to see that. That's the perfect fight to find out who Brunson really is. Although I'm sure Luke, after the comeback victory against Branch, there is hoping for giant, giant things. I still think they should have done Luke Anderson Silva. Like, come on, stars versus star. It's it's a it's a no brainer. No more of this Anderson Silva versus Derek Brunson. Let's respect our legends and put them in marketable fights. They don't need to be stepping stones, King Mo. All right, that's my separate side rant there. But King Mo, the biggest star of the weekend from UFC Sao Paulo over the weekend was your guy, Colby Covington, the welterweight from ATT, who had been a part of this Bound for Glory buildup when he, when ATT was originally crashing the impact zone in Orlando and starting this wrestling feud. But he was in the cage this weekend against Damian Maya. Three-round unanimous decision in a very close fight. We're going to talk about all the fireworks that came after in a minute. From what you saw in the cage, though, impressive victory for this guy, 13-1, and 29 years old? Well, I, here's the thing, right? I think it was a great victory, but what happened was the, the, the all the trash talk overshadowed all that. You know, the, all the, the trash talk and the disrespect overshadowed what he did. I think what he did, the fight to me, I thought I thought he made an adjustment because really I trained with him a few times for this camp, and we were fighting off the back foot, looking to move, move. 
And, I was, and that's what he's doing because he's like, you know, I'm looking forward to take down this way. When it, once he got cut, he was like, you know what? No, no backing up. I'm gonna come forward and just be a dog. I'm gonna dog him out and come forward and put that pace on him. He, and he, let me tell you something. In camp, he didn't train that way. In camp, the thing was to stick and move and and you know and just play defense. You know what I'm saying? But counter punch. This time, once once he got cut, he was like, you know what? I'm I got cut. I might be losing. I'm you know I know I, I know I'm gonna do what I do best. And that's pressure from wrestling. He came as a matter of fact. His stance was a it was a kind of a modified wrestling stance with his hands up. It was a modified wrestling stance in the fight, you know, and he went out there to fight in a modified wrestling stance and and pretty much outpointed and outworked Damian Maya. I mean, this was a really tough fight considering Maya, you know, coming off the title loss to Woodley, still at a very high level. And like you mentioned, in that first round, Covington got caught, was getting outstruck by Maya. That was really sort of a make or break situation to see was he going to fold or does he really have it? Instead, he had it. Fifth straight victory. He also did a lot of outside leg kicks at a key point where Maya was having success coming with that overhand left and it seemed to slowly bother Maya and maybe slow him down a bit. Yeah, it's the patented American Top Team calf kick. Yes. It's the calf kick. You know, um, Wilson Govea is the one that made that big in the American Top Team. He did that. I saw him first do that at MFC like in 2010 or 2011 years ago. And then you say you seen Lima do it. You have guys here at American Top Team that, that do that, do the calf kick real well. It reminds me of, this is a weird comparison, but it reminds me of Floyd Mayweather. Anytime he's in a little bit of trouble, he just slips that jab to the body just, just to create space. Is it, is it that type of move in MMA? It's similar. It's a reset. What Floyd's doing that to make you reset and drain you a little bit. The calf kicks to make you reset and also it's going to damage your legs. So if you had no, if you had no legs, then you have no punches. You have no takedown defense. You have no takedowns. So that's the way to just to destroy the base is the calf kick. Now, I thought up until that final 10 seconds of the third and final round that Maya had a real shot, a real case to win this on the cards, but then he got brutally bloodied up and, and I don't want to say nearly finished, but he was in a bad spot when that fight ended. Do you think that was enough to, to really sway any judges who were close or anyone who was considering giving it to Maya at that point? Yeah, I think, I think after the first round, you know, um, Maya was on, on the down, on the downside. You know, you can see him slide. You can see him gassing. You see him taking deep breaths. You see him shaking his arms out. You can see him backing up more. Around, like, especially the second. Oh, my. Second, Kobe came out strong. Third, I thought Kobe was winning the third. Like, actually, the first, the first 45 seconds, I thought, you know, I thought Kobe made a, made a statement. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be in your face. And once that first 45 seconds hit, hit, hit I was like, Kobe's going to win this fight. I'm, I, I, Damian Maya had nothing left in the gas tank. He was done for. Even even the shots, the jab, Kobe was landing, the 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 left the left hand that he's landing, it wasn't even a solid left hand, it was like a slapping left hand, and that was affecting Damian Maya. Well, Kobe is nicknamed Chaos, and King Mo after the fight, he he produced some chaos, and he may have like really, not I don't want to say created, but carried out the blueprint of how you get yourself noticed, how you gain attention, maybe how you secure a title shot. We don't know if he's going to get there yet, but he was ranked seventh coming in. But you'll know his name now based on how he handled himself. And in the post-fight interview called Brazil a dump, called Brazilians filthy animals. And this started up a huge firestorm by many people. 
Colby doubled down in the face of criticism Sunday with a tweet that said, I went to work last week. I was screamed at, spit at, assaulted with water bottles and other objects by an angry mob, and serenaded by 1,000 voices yelling, you are going to die. My employer had to place security at my hotel room to protect me. I would like to formally apologize to any filthy animal I offended by comparing them to my host in Sao Paulo. King Mo. That's some pro wrestling heel stuff right there, just doubling back down, saying, you got a problem with what I said? Well, here we go. I'm, I'm going to bring it back right in your face. Yeah, you know what? It, it, it works, but at the same time, here's my problem with it is, I'm glad he's doing it, but my problem with this, I think he went overboard, went too far. The thing, the thing that's, that's good about trash talk is, like, you, it helps you sell yourself, helps you sell something. But where it hurt Kobe is when Kobe was like, look, I just talked trash. He did a video. He was like, I just talked trash to make it fun for the fans. And I did this, I did that, you know. When when you when you go back on what you're saying, it kind of makes you like you had doubt. Kobe should have just been like to talk trash, but came with a little truth to it. Like for instance, so he like, hedged it too much by showing the behind the curtain, right? Well, no, well not just that, but he he assaulted, he went after the fans. Don't go after the fans, really. You can a little bit, but don't but stay stay on topic. You know, you attack the people in your division. That's who you want mad at you. That's who you want to fight. That's who you want really calling your name. The fans, the fans will say your name just because you're insulting their favorite fighter. But I feel like what Kobe should have done was stick some truth to it. Like, for instance, when you talk trash about Damian Maya, I feel like I'm going to beat Damian Maya. It's going to be very easy. You know, his career is on the line. And I'm going to, you know what? Ring, ring, ring. Oh, okay. Oh, that was a Reaper. The Grim Reaper just called me. He told me he wants <laughs> Kobe's career. I mean, not Kobe, but Damian Maya's career to be over with after this fight. And I told him, Deal. You know, come with something like that, but he can't out wrestle me, become a better wrestler. He can't do it with my, my pants because I'm in supreme, supreme shape, superb shape. He's older, he's getting gas, I'm gonna wear him out, and the Brazilian's gonna be crying. You'll see a bunch of Brazilian flags on, on, you know, on the canvas or out there in the venue. You know, people hurt, you know, have hurt feelings. Come with something like that, you know what I'm saying? Because there's some truth behind it, and it's like, you know, fictional in a sense, but just don't bash the fans all day, and that's what, that's what's gonna hurt him in the long run. Well, like because, you see, people are like, it's a good win he had. But instead of the people saying good win, they're like, does a, oh, you look sloppy. They're quick to criticize him, even though it was a good win. Well, he created some uh, ATT heat with those comments, primarily from Antonio Bigfoot Silva, who came out and said, Colby's anti-professional. He's a dirty person. He says, I'll show you how to respect my country and my people. He trains in my gym, but he was a son of a bitch for speaking bad about Brazilians and not having respect for human beings' life. Bigfoot, uh, right on with these comments. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, no, I don't, I think Bigfoot it's emotional. Emotional because you know because Damian Maya, I heard he's, I heard he did an interview saying that Kobe was just doing it for antics and so the fight. You know, like so like it is what it is. It's just what it's just the 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 thing is when Bigfoot came up and same thing with me when I started when I, when I came up. There's trash talk, but the trash talk was somewhat honest. Like people would bring in some truth telling to the trash talk. And it was just that, you know, to sell a fight. Now it's the point where, not well, well, back then not everybody did it. Only a select few did. Now it's like everybody has to do it, you know. And it's getting to a point where it's kind of, you're like, ah, I've heard it before. Everybody has to talk trash. Like, there, you know, there should be like a different, like, you know, different categories. Like, you know, you have guys that, like Leodo, talk trash. And you have guys that talk trash in retaliation. Then you got your guys that are just pure offensive. Now everybody's trying to be pure offensive. And it's, it's kind of getting kind of getting played out. 
in a sense. So we don't have to worry about uh, Bigfoot trying to get a double leg on uh, on Kobe next time in the gym or anything, right? Uh, I hope not. You know, I hope not. I I feel like maybe there, we have quite a few Brazilians at the gym, and maybe Kobe should apologize to them or do something. You know, yeah. let them know, hey, uh, it's just just for fight. It's just sell the fight. I'm trying to get paid. Well, UFC executive David Shaw talked to the media after this fight and said that Covington's actions are unacceptable and that the company will make a decision on how to address his behavior moving forward. I just want to remind the company, though, Kingbo. What Chael Sonnen and Conor McGregor did kind of worse things to Brazilian fans in, in, in sort of inciting inciting them and trying to fire them up for Chael's fights with with uh, Anderson Silva for Conor's you know big fight with Jose Aldo. I don't really think this is something that needs to be addressed with disciplinary action. Like where are we going here? I think it's stupid because it's like this: say Conor was from Italy or Ireland and had a whole country behind him doing the same thing, the UFC would keep their mouth shut. Let's say it's just that sometimes for some reason in America, Americans don't back their own. And and people are mad at Kobe. But in granted, they have the right to be mad at Kobe, you know. But if 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 Kobe was from a different country, say Kobe's from Canada or he's from Italy or Ireland, and he was doing and he was talking trash with another Brazilian, the people from different from like Ireland or, or Italy or Canada would back Kobe because that's their countrymen. Yeah, it was entertainment. It'd be a different story if Kobe was like, you know, opening out there, just assaulting and insulting the fans, you know, openly out there, just like going to the fans, just like picking them out one by one. But this is, this right here was just to sell a fight. And then, uh, I think that if he was from a different country, it would, it would have been better, you know, but being American, sometimes we just don't support our own or we, 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 we're easily insulted by our actions. You know what I'm saying? Like Kobe, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people that are American, didn't like what Kobe was saying, you know, so it is what it is. But the whole point, he got – you know his name now if you didn't know him coming in, fifth straight win like I mentioned, and then he really turned from insulting the Brazilian crowd to going after Woodley. He wants a title shot. He wants to skip the line and get there. Said to the media afterwards that, Tyron, deep down inside, I know you know what happened to you the last time we were in the gym together. I know you've been running from me. You're ducking me. You're looking for money fights. You ain't a money fight. You are my fight, mother effer. I'm coming to your front door, and if you ain't answering, I'm coming to take what's mine, the welterweight title. King Mo, a lot of references there to a sparring match of sorts in ATT when Woodley was there where Covington said he finished him inside of three rounds. The sparring was supposed to go five rounds, and Tyron reportedly quit, saying no more. Is there any truth to this, or is this also just hyping up the fight? You may have been there for this, for all I know. Well, I might, I like this, right? We're the American top team. Who have you ever seen get stopped in sparring? It's sparring for a reason. You don't try to purposely stop nobody in sparring unless you're, tra- unless you're training out of a garage or training with some crazy, crazy, terrible coaches. You know, um, I think maybe just trying to sell something. Maybe I'm in grappling rounds and Willie got tired. I have no idea. You know, a lot of times when um when you're in camp, you get shark baited. Like, you know, for instance, like say I'm in camp, I might go around a few rounds with this guy, then go a few rounds with another fresh guy, then finish off with another fresh guy. So who knows what could have happened with them, you know. But practice is practice. It means nothing come fight time. Well, so if Kobe wants to use the practice to sell a fight, then I guess go ahead, just whatever. He might as well. Uh, I mean, he yeah. says that Tyron didn't like the pace of their sparring and that if you watch lately, he says Woodley's been fighting too conservative. He's scared to engage. 
So this is interesting. Woodley is watching all of this. He's hearing all of this. He goes out on Twitter and basically says, what might he plan to finish me with? Allergies from the feathers coming out of the pillows he was swinging? I'm ashamed for our sport tonight, end quote. Now, the ashamed part from Woodley also goes in response to an earlier UFC tweet, which was basically trying to hype up the potential of a Covington-Woodley title fight. Woodley also responded at UFC and said, are you guys really going to edge this idiot on? This is why our sport is becoming a joke. He just got outstruck by a BJJ guy. Hmm. Interesting from Woodley saying, like, you're going to let this guy skip the line just because he has a loud mouth? But we've got history of that in the UFC, King Mo. You can skip the line if you're a loud mouth. Yeah, I, I, I guess Woodley's trying to like, like you know, bring bring up a good point. But at the same time, like, the point is that people skip the line anyway. You know, Woodley. So like, you know, if 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 Kobe's fight with Damian Maya did big numbers, then I'm don't be surprised if Kobe gets title shot because Damian Maya is a you know a pure martial artist doesn't sell fights. People tune in to watch him fight off his name value alone. It's not like he's out there getting people hyped up to watch him submit somebody. So if Kobe's fight with David Maya did big numbers, then guess what? You have a star in Kobe Covington. And Woodley, uh, probably not like best friends with Dana White right now. I know they may have patched up some of their battles after that Maya fight, but you know, Woodley's a guy who's basically been saying for years, nobody's showing me respect. I was the betting underdog in like eight straight fights, even title fights. And if Woodley is matched against Covington, it will probably just give him more fuel to the idea that, you know, he's been mismanaged, mispromoted, mishandled. And, you know, I think that kind of brings the best out of him, though, that fire, that that fury of being feeling like, you know, no one's giving him his proper due. You guys need that as fighters, right? You need that chip on your shoulder. Yeah, it just depends because, like, you know, like Woodley finds ways to win. You know, he wins, you know. So I don't know about the chip on his shoulder because he's a he's a fight with that style, like. Bernard Hopkins used to fight with that style, where he'd throw headbutts, elbows, low blows, and right hands and just rough you up. Woodley doesn't fight like that. So I don't think he fights with a chip on his shoulder. Woodley just fights smart. He doesn't get too emotional, not too invested, because if he fought with a chip on his shoulder, he'd, he'd, have to, he'd have more, you know, he'd have more output and he'd probably swing for the fences more. He wouldn't be as conservative. He's a lot smarter now. Good reference on Bernard Hopkins. Good thing Covington didn't pull a Bernard Hopkins like he did ahead of the Trinidad fight. Remember in the Puerto Rican stadium ripping up the flag and throwing it down to the ground and then running for his life? He told, he told, he told Trinidad, here, your last meal, some rice and beans, some Goya beans and some rice, do it on the, do it on the, the on the ground and grab the flag, do it on the ground. And Trinidad pointed at the promoter and pointed at B Hop. And then B Hop, like, looked around. All of a sudden you see the crowd just rush the, the podium. <laughs> ACB hop up the stairs. They had a, they had a helicopter by out of there. Yeah. B-Hop said he legitimately ran for his life and legitimately was lucky to get away from the mob. But man, talk about knowing how to sell a fight. B, you know, B-Hop's no joke in that regard. Well, see, B-Hop like uh, he sticks to it regardless. You never you never see the good side of B-Hop. You always see the 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 dog side. You know, you see the good side now that he's done. But like B-Hop stuck to a script and never deviated, and that's why I respect him. King Mo, I was thinking of the uh, the first time – this is really out of place and, and not related to this. The first time I ever met you, King Mo, I was thinking about that the other day. It was right after you lost the Strike Force title to Cavalcanti, right? You were in ESPN. I was working there. You came in as a guest on MMA Live. You had the crown. I shook your hand. I was like, man, you got to get that belt back. You were like, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And I saw you a second time and shook your hand 
2014, before the night before Mayweather fought Maidana for the first time. You remember Sean, uh, Sean Porter fought uh, Julio Diaz in the rematch in Vegas there. So uh, you, I've seen you a lot at boxing events in inside of that boxing community. Did you ever befriend B-Hop through, through, those, through those times? Nah, you know what? I didn't. I met um, – remember Bowie Fisher, Bowie Fisher, his old trainer? I, I met his son, you know, James Fisher. And, you know, a lot, it's weird because a lot of people that meet B-Hop don't have much good things to say about him. Oh, great everybody, guy. Everybody has something bad to say about him. So, you know, I, 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 you know, I admire his skill. I admire his mentality. But just as far as a person, like I'm cool with, I'm cool with not meeting them. I'm all right. All right, all right. He's he's a funny dude. I mean, from the media side, he's a dream because he just you ask him one question and it'll give you a half hour an answer because he just gives you gold, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. B Hop, he's a he's a he's a student of the game and he's a, like a historian in a sense. He knows everything when it comes to boxing, so Absolutely. I respect that. Absolutely. Uh, the only other note on this uh, UFC Sampaio card is that uh, lightweight Jim Miller, he loses to Francisco Trinaldo, but he sets the UFC record with his 28th appearance in the octagon. Bisping will tie that record once again on Saturday at UFC 217, but Jim Miller getting a little bit of a moment in a, in a defeat. If you would have asked me before Saturday night, you know, who, who owns the UFC record for appearances, I never would have guessed Jim Miller. So how about that little factoid right there? I would have thought it was like T. Bauer or, 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 yeah, or Bisping because Bisping's been around for a while. Tito Ortiz hung around for a long time. I would have guessed he was in that conversation. Somehow Glyson Tebow has been around forever. He's so, he's in those conversations too. He's been around for a long time. Sometimes the key to being high up on that list is not getting cut, right? It's, it's like winning four or five in a row. Then maybe you lose when you step up, but then never losing that second or third in a row. Yeah. That's, you know, it's a system. You see guys with like, um, but losing records, they might be two and five, or two and four, or something like that. But I don't know. They they might w- like win one, lose two, win one, and lose another one. You know, uh, it, it's weird. You know, I, I guess the secret number now was three losses. Before it was two, but now it seems like it's three. Well then, Machida, you got to be careful here as we move forward. King Mo Saturday UFC two seventeen. The return to MSG for the promotion, just the second time since MMA has been legalized in the state of New York, which was a, what, a 20-year battle, which was pretty ridiculous. It's good to see it back because King Bone, where I come from growing up in Connecticut, the world's most famous arena, it still matters. It still means something. And last year at UFC 205, that was one hell of an event. This year, they're back to the garden. Three title fights, probably the best card of the year on paper. And it all starts with that fight we've been talking about for a while. The middleweight championship, Michael Bisping defending against a returning George St. Pierre. Outside of who's going to win and all that, do you have high expectations for this to be a dramatic, exciting fight? No, not really. I don't have, like, the thing is, like, if Georgia had a chance to fight one time or get a tune-up fight, and I'd be, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, that'd be cool because we can get, we get, we can gauge how the times helped him or hurt him. And he's going up a weight class, you know, and he wasn't really too big at 170. He was a normal size 170 guy. Um, actually, he had a long, long frame, but I think that this might be too much for him as far as size, work rate. He's improved dramatically, leaps and bounds. Um, he's riding a wave of confidence right now. He beat Anderson Silva, beat Luke Rockhold. You know, so, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I like George. I think he's a great fighter, but I think maybe he might be a little too small. And maybe the time, you know, the layoff might have made him a little rustier. But 
who knows? Well, I won't know till he steps the cage and, and uh, touches gloves with his opponent, Bisping. There's a few layers to this fight to really look at. You know, I was trying, as I'm thinking about the, the, the preview stories I'm going to write for this and the angles that really stand out the most, I'm like, okay, GSP coming back from a four-year retirement, King Mo, and he's moving up in weight with no tune-up fight to get there. You know, what's the best comparison in MMA for this occurrence? And I came to the conclusion that, King Mo, there is no comparison in MMA. Like, this is a ballsy type of move. The only real comparison might be Sugar Ray Leonard fighting just once over a three- or four-year time when he had that or you know that eye injury, was retired, and then he comes back, moves up in weight, makes his middleweight debut against Marvelous Marvin Hagler in 1987. This is really on that level in terms of boldness, in terms of star power, what GSP is. Let's not look past that. So I think the fact that Bisping is an aging guy who you don't want to say lucked into a title because he's had a great career. He was a title-worthy guy for a long time. But, you know, but he, but he one-punch knocked out Luke Rockhold and sort of surprised himself to the title. That is somewhat watering down what GSP's really trying to do here and how difficult it is because it's not just the potential for ring rust. It's you're moving up in weight. There's a lot going against him entering this fight. Yeah, you know what? Um, there is. There's a lot going against him. I just, I'm, to me, I'm just confused about the whole fight because why are they having it for a belt? Um, when GSP's making, they should have a super fight. Just have a plain super fight. Um, not for a belt, but just have a plain super fight because what's Whitaker gonna do? We're, it's like he's the forgotten man in this equation. What's he gonna do? Then you have Luke Rockhall. What's Romero going to do? Everybody's like, the pretty much the 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 weight class has been hijacked right now. You oh know, no everybody- doubt, UFC played themselves by going back to this. Like you said, make it if you're going to go back to this and just make it a super fight. Because guess what? If Bisping wins, probably going to retire unless there's big money and a rematch for this. And if GSP wins, he really hasn't fully cemented that he's going to defend that belt. At one point, he was like, "I'll fight Whitaker next." Then there's other reports saying he has a three fight plan for the future. I don't know why it would in- include staying at middleweight when there's so much money to be made and potentially in smaller matchups for him. And just getting the middleweight title would be enough to put it you know, on his career resume mantle and say, look at what I did. You're right. It kind of makes this a weird fight in that regard that the title is almost a secondary factor in this in this whole situation. It's just a, it's an odd super fight at an odd time. But certainly worthy to headline such a big card. Certainly enough drama to see what GSP can do in this. King Mo, aside from this, Michael Bisping sued for some July incident at like a fitness gym in Southern California where a fan touched his weights. Bisping reportedly put him in a choke for two to three seconds. Now he's getting sued for millions, which he calls it total bollocks. Dana White came out and basically ripped this fan for for launching this this lawsuit at this time. Is this anything that could that could cause a ripple, could get in the way, or is this just like somebody trying to maximize in your mind? Well, I I don't know. Only way we can find out is if there's any video of it. You know, um, I'll be we wasn't there, so we could take Bisping's word, we could take the 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 um fan's word. You know, and then. You know, if there's any video, we can take our word by watching the video. But really, if I were Bisping, I'd just focus on the fight. It was focus interesting that it, Dana had another non-PC moment, though, just coming out and just ripping with swears, you know, the the fan of this lawsuit. It's like, could you ever imagine Roger Goodell coming out and, and giving, like, the type of responses that Dana does? I mean, it's just so, like, so over the top. Uh, I know. Just, I, I don't know what to say much about it. I, I don't, I don't got to deal with them. But you know what? At least he has his fighters' backs, you know. In this situation. Absolutely. So Freddie Roach is going to be in GSP's corner. He's the Hall of Fame boxing trainer, of course. 
Manny Pacquiao's longtime uh, guru here, but Roach has helped GSP train boxing before at the wildcard gym in L.A. This is the first time he'll be in the corner, and Roach has taken on a much bigger role this time. Don't forget, Roach was one of the people called in to sort of settle the difference in the contract negotiation to bring GSP back in. Now, Roach has said, like I mentioned earlier, GSP has a three-fight plan, including this one. Roach won't say who it is. But I don't think that it's going to continue past uh, middleweight when you have the opportunity to fight like a Conor McGregor. Or if he can win this, move down and maybe challenge Woodley. I think we're heading in that different direction. But with Roach in his corner, King Mo, does this mean we'll see more boxing? Does this mean we'll see that jab that he took out Josh Koscheck's eye with? Is there any sort of hints in that? I see. I have no idea. You know, um. I, I, I really don't know. I don't know what to expect because he has Freddie Roach in his corner, but he's facing, which, okay, he has Freddie Roach, right? Freddie Roach is known for offense, right? All his fighters have, have great offense, good volume, right? But he's facing a guy that has more offense. Bisping has more offense. He's more offensive, bigger, longer, you know, so you figure, you know, Bis, you know, GSP would probably like a, a kickboxing, you know, you know, kickboxing coach to work on, you know, defense and maybe a boxing coach that's more like, you know, defensive orientated because, you know, just to work on his counters because Bisping's going to be in his face throwing punches all day, punches and kicks all day. He's not going to wrestle him. So George, you know, I don't know, George's going to have to wrestle him and mix it up. But if anything, this fight will be more taxing on George being a smaller guy. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect in this fight because he could try to box with George. He could try to box with the uh, Bisping, but Will be effective because Bisping will, will then start to the kickbox. You know what I'm saying? Like George got to fight in spots to not gas. I'm, I'm not sure he'll gas, but like Bisping's gonna be a bigger guy, you know, in shape, known for volume. And George, you've seen towards the end of his career, he started getting tired the last few rounds, like the fourth or fifth round. That's when he started taking more damage, especially when he fought um, Diaz. But Diaz, Diaz was actually sprawling on him and defending his takedown. So like, you know, um. I don't know. We'll see. I hope George can put up a good account for himself. I think he will. I just don't know if it'll be enough. Well, you take Freddie Roach's comments always with a grain of salt because let's not forget, for about the last 10 fights, he's been saying there's a new Manny Pacquiao and he's going to get a knockout. And every single Pacquiao fight in a row, he doesn't get a knockout. It goes to the scorecards, right, going back to the Cotto fight in 2010. But Roach said this week, talking to ESPN, tall guys give you a bigger target, obviously, and are a lot slower. I think this guy, meaning Bisping, is made for us. He says he doesn't think we can outbox him. We can, and we will outbox him. Interesting quote right there. But GSP says, Bisping is terrified of me wrestling him. And GSP, a a non-trash talker, a guy who what he says he normally means, vows to get a finish in this fight, King Mo. I thought that was interesting when you consider he's moving up in weight. And outside of BJ Penn's corner throwing in the towel in their 20, 2009 rematch, GSP hasn't had a finish, King Mo. Can, can, can you guess off the top of your head the last GSP finish? Last GSP finish. Outside of BJ. Outside BJ. I'm thinking it was Sarah. It was Sarah. 2008. UFC 83, the rematch. Since then, Eight times he has gone the full five-round distance. But like I said, GSP doesn't just float comments. He's saying he's going for the finish here. And he's stocking that on your end. Uh, Yeah, I think this – I think maybe – yeah, I think so. I think he's going to go for the finish. But I think he thinks that, hey, you know what? I'm going to my career. Time to make fights exciting. I'm going to go out my shield, you know, if I have to. 
But, you know, I'm going to go and try to stop this guy, you know, try to get him out of there. And I think he's going to try, but I think that if he, once after three rounds he doesn't get it, he's going to be like, all right, you know what? Like, like kind of like Floyd. Like, you know, when Floyd fights guys, like Floyd's like, okay, I'm going to try to stop him. But the seventh round, like, you know what? No opportunities. I'm not going to put myself out there and get counterpunched and, uh, you know, and hurt. I'm going to go out there and just wash, once, wash, rinse, repeat. Same smart game plan. Get the W. True, but what about this as sort of a counter to that? The fact that, all right, I'll, I'll say this. GSP's so calculated, he's only going to come back if the conditions are perfect. So I, I don't doubt that mentally, physically, he's as best as he could be at age 36, right? Yet at the same time, how do you simulate a five-round title fight when you've been out for four years? So maybe is there an idea in his head that I can't be that safe wrestler that I've been because it's too taxing cardiovascularly. I may need at this late age to be more offensive just to counteract that potential. Is there? I mean, is that something that could be a reality in his head? Well, at the same time, it depends on who you're fighting because, you know, um, regardless, since he's a small guy, it's going to be taxed regardless. He's facing a volume puncher, kickboxer, and bisping. So it's going to be time regardless. If he goes for a takedown, it's going to be tiring hold him down, hold him down because Bisping can get to his feet. If he tries to fight with the stand-up fight with Bisping's, you know, output, it's going to be a fast-paced fight anyway. So I think regardless, George is going to be forced to mix it up, mix up his striking and takedowns and kicks all together. He's going to be forced to become a mixed martial artist because he's going to give up too much size. One last interesting quote here from Bisping. He says GSP's entire welterweight run was versus fighters who were suited towards him. He says GSP always had an advantage as a walking around at 190, cutting down to 170 against smaller welterweights. One, I don't agree with that. And two, King Mo, the last time I looked at Michael Bisping's title run, he fought a 46-year-old Dan Henderson and got dropped twice, and now he's fighting a welterweight who's been off for four years. Sometimes your trash talk has got to make some sense, right? Yeah, it is. It, it is. It makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. I don't know. It's, there's really not much trash talk for this fight, really. I'm, I'm not listening to it because you got two guys that are high level. One guy's a champ, former champion. Another guy's a champion. They've been around for a while. Vets, like trash talk, is not needed for this fight. To be honest with you, it's not needed. You know, um, I don't know. I, I really think the favorite is Bisping for this. I think George is going to come with a game plan, but I think that might not be enough to do the size and just do the layoff. I think that's what's going to hurt him in the long run. When it's all said and done, four years out the cage, coming back a weight class up versus a guy that's riding a wave, you know, riding a wave of success and has the belt. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for George. Also, though, Bisping has not fought since that Dan Henderson fight, which was last October. So he'll be coming off more than a year layoff, another year older, 38 years old. A lot of interesting factors here. In the end, King Mo, I see it going the distance, no matter how you want to slice it. Do you agree or disagree with that? It just depends, man. I, the, 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 the intangibles are how GSP is. Like, is he going to swell up? Um, and are there any injuries? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, How's he, how's he gonna deal with the, with the weight issue? Like, you know, it, those are the intangibles. More on GSP side, he's been, he's been gone. We've seen what Bisping has to offer versus guys that can wrestle, versus guys that can stand, versus guys that can punch, versus guys that have good cardio, versus guys that have poor cardio. We've seen that. George has been gone for four years. So all we see, all we remember for George is the DS fight. Remember the Hendricks fight? You know, remember those fights. So we don't remember, like, you know, there's nothing to base, like, you know, he's gonna face the bigger guy. This is the first time he's been up a weight class. So, you know, a lot of questions need to be answered, and they will be answered this weekend. 
No question about it. I'm still liking GSP, King Mo. I'm liking GSP. I'm liking him, and I think he's going to give up that belt afterwards, and I think he's going to chase the money. I, you know, I think that George is going to lose. I think, I think he's going to lose. I think Bisping will, you know, be too much for him. I think win or lose, George, George is going to go back down to fight, um, fight, uh, Connor, or he might, he might fight Robbie or, you know, I don't know. He's going to fight somebody. Maybe, maybe Anderson. I, I'm thinking maybe it's that's Bis- still out there. Bisping, um, Connor, Anderson, or Diaz. That's yeah. not a bad trio of fights. You, and you, you left out Woodley there, which is which would be a very dangerous fight for him. Maybe he'll leave out Woodley too <laughs> when it's all said and done. I think, like you know, honestly, the way the way Dana White has talked bad about about Woodley and and you know just disrespecting the sense, I don't see fans like you. You know, for a while, her fans say GSP versus Woodley. Oh, that's a good, good fight. Now I've yet to hear, hear anybody even bring that fight up. You know, more I've heard more about. Nate, Nick and Nate versus GSP. I've heard Anderson versus GSP. And I've heard Conor McGregor versus GSP. Haven't heard much about Willie versus GSP. And if, if that fight were to happen, I'd be cool with it. I'd, I'd hope Willie can get the fight. But for some reason, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Very interesting stuff. Just like GSP's wrestling in the end. But we will find out on Saturday against the bigger man. But King Mo, this co-main event at 217 for the Bantamweight Championship. Cody Garbrandt in his first title defense since taking out Dominic Cruz by pretty fairly dominant decision last December against former champ TJ Dillashaw. I'm going to make a bold statement, King Mo. On paper, this is the best MMA fight of 2017, true or false. I say heck yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We're, we're, we're going to see. On paper, though. Come on. This has got to get the blood the blood boiling for you. got to be fired up to see this. Um. Well, I actually so, – because there's so many matchups. Don't forget, like one thing the UFC does is every every month you hear the biggest matchup in this yeah. history, the, the greatest fight in UFC history, the greatest card in UFC history. You hear it so much, just you know, like um, like think about this: John Jones versus Cormier was supposed to be the biggest matchup for a while, you know. Then you hear Diaz versus Connor was the, the best matchup. Now you're saying now so you said it's Dillashaw versus uh, Garbrandt. Well, what happens if um, GSP ends up fighting somebody in, in like Nick Diaz or Anderson Silva or let's say let's say um, it's GSP versus that um, the guy that's knocked out um what's it knocked out Cowboy because don't forget Darren Till yeah Darren Till you know pe- people want to see people always excited about matchups but I feel like sometimes they throw out the big, biggest match of the year because it always gets overshadowed by next the next matchup. All right, how about just from the sense of prime versus prime best actual matchup where difficult to pick a winner both guys championship potential has potential to be fireworks because there's personal emotions involved i don't remember of the fights that have been booked this year a better fight than this i like this even more than the jones cormier rematch on paper uh i see i don't really know because the george cormier rematch was like i don't know it happened but it was you know people so many people wrote Daniel out and Dan- wrote, wrote him off. And Daniel did put up a good account for himself before he got stopped. This fight is, uh, I don't know if it's the same level because there's animosity, but I feel like the animosity between Jones and, and Cormier was much more real and much more. Yeah, um, I can get with that. But, but this fight, as far as skill set, is pretty intriguing because they both can wrestle. Now you have boxing versus kickboxing. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I feel, I feel like this, as far as like 
stylistic matchup. These two are pretty much the same, except one guy focuses on boxing, the other guy focuses on kickboxing. So I think it's going to be a good stand-up battle in a sense. It's hard to compare. If you're looking at their common opponent being Dominic Cruz on the highest level, it's hard to compare that because Garbrandt beat a Cruz who Cruz's coach said was injured at that point. TJ Dillashaw lost a split decision to Cruz in a fight that a lot of people like me thought TJ deserved the nod. So I think you kind of throw that out. You're kind of going on the eye test to a certain degree. And on the eye test, King Motink, TJ Dillashaw, I think he's the fourth best fighter in the sport, pound for pound. I think he got a raw deal on that scorecard, and I think he's coming hungry to win that belt back with that, with the quickness, with that herky-jerky style. That is really hard to pick up on in the octagon. Well, so you say the fourth best fighter, like I think it, I think it right now. Wait, so, so like who's a who's your who's your top four? Top All right, five right now my pound for pound king is Mighty Mouse. All right. Okay. I had to downgrade John Jones until we really know the finalized version of what happens with the drug test. But certainly he takes a slide down to down to two or three. And then I got to give Connor respect two division champion there until we actually see him again. So Johnson, Connor and Jones. And I think Dillashaw right now, if I'm coming from the belief, which I am, that he did not lose to Cruz is the fourth best fighter in the world. I mean, this guy is top shelf. Uh, okay, that's interesting. I don't know if I would. I would. I don't know. My 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 number is a little different, but you know, I, I respect what you. I respect. I respect that. Who do you no, like? The people are listening right now. They're like, who does King Mo like in the first couple? You know, three, four pound for pound in the world right now. Well, so who do I like pound for pounds? What you're asking me? Yeah. Okay. Number one is Mighty Mouse. Uh, number two, three, four, and five. I I don't know because you throw Cyborg somewhere and they took it to throw in Joanna. Uh, you get to throw in, uh, who else is out there? Uh, well, let's you know. separate the women. Let's just go men's pound for pound. Do you give, do you still have Connor and Jones in that same area I do? I, well, the thing, the thing is, like, I don't know, I don't know about Connor just yet because granted Connor's a two division champion, but Jose Aldo could have been a two division champion as well, but the UFC never gave him the opportunity. Um, Connor never beat Ferguson or, um, or, or Habib. You know, I, those guys, like, you know, I, I don't say you can't put Habib somewhere in the top top ten pound for pound. Certainly. How you could put Ferguson somewhere in there? It's just it, dep- it depends on what you like, you know. Um, at the champions that went the champion at one thirty five is Garbrandt. You know he's definitely you know somewhere up there one forty five. I don't know because you can't you not put Frankie Yeager up there because you know um, Holloway he, had a big win. I mean Max Holloway, same thing. It's just it just depends because the thing is a lot of matchups that we could see that could help solidify the top five pound for pound. Ain't happened yet. Very true. Very true. Do you give, you know, Dillashaw bounced back from that split decision loss to Cruz and won a dominant decision over Rafael Sunsau and then won an even more dominant decision over John Lineker, a big slugger. I just think he's shown us, King Mo, that, that he is that legit level. And after waiting for this fight to finally happen, he's got a chance to sort of act like that loss never did happen. Yeah, he has a chance, you know, um, Dillashaw is a very crafty fighter, smart fighter. I just want to see what his game plan is for this fight. You know, if he can, if if he has a solid game plan, is ex- executed well in the first first round, then we're gonna force Garbrandt to become a counter puncher or make him maybe him have to become a wrestler. You know, who knows? I have to see what his game plan is because I'm not sure if he wants to just stand, if he wants to mix it up, or or if Dillashaw himself wants to mix it up, become a wrestler himself. So it, it's a lot of things we haven't seen from um, from a Garbrandt, I've seen Garbrandt get people out of there with the hands, 
I've never seen really defend takedowns or ha- go with anybody that can mix it up like uh like Dillashaw can. Besides Cruz, but the thing about Cruz is Cruz is mixing up. He looked a lot different this last fight because I, usually I can see him moving for five rounds solidly. This time I saw him move, and after a round and a half, I saw him stop moving. And I saw him like walk walk forward, and I saw him shake his legs out, move again. So you could tell there was something something went not something went there, but. That that wasn't Garbrandt's issue, you know. Garbrandt's issue is go out there, win, get the belt, and he did that. So, my thing is, I just got to see these game plans. You know, that's the main thing. Is there any way that TJ Dillashaw could or should be using Frankie Edgar's blueprint of how he took the title from BJ Penn, where it's where it's quick boxing in and out, in and out the whole night? Nah, it's gonna be a lot different because Garbrandt has quick boxing and has good timing. You know, you just can't. Hop in. If you have, if you're facing guys that get counter punching, good timing. The moment you hop in, you're gonna get hit. You get hit with something. So I think that Garbrandt should faint. Not Garbrandt, but Dillashaw should use his feints. Um, use his kicks, use his punches. Keep him, keep Garbrandt guessing. Look for a takedown here and there. But the main thing is he's to keep Garbrandt guessing and keep him uncomfortable in this fight. Who wins this fight if it goes to the ground and it stays on the ground for three rounds in a row? Let's say. It just depends on who's on top. It depends on, it depends who's on top. The guy that's on top is going to be the, cause both guys have a wrestling mentality. And really, the guy that gives the takedown, in, in, in my mind, and, and also in their mind, the guy that gives the takedown is the one that's losing. Because both guys aren't jujitsu guys, they're wrestlers. Wrestlers that can strike. So really, when it comes down to it, their main thing is going to be wrestling. They want to be in dominant position. Big part of the intrigue here is we know Cody Garbrandt is really good. We're just still not sure if he's great. If you're going to believe that Cruz was a little bit compromised in that fight, and you got to give Garbrandt credit though, he showed a lot of poise. He wasn't just power hungry, looking to get him out of there. I mean, he fought five really dominant rounds. I think obviously this will be the fight where we find out: Does he have Plan B and C to adjust to certain game plans? Can he deal if TJ's hands are quicker than he thought? You know, we're going to really find out. That's what makes this fight great. I don't know if I'm just a, a, a guy who really just thinks TJ got a raw deal and is going to show you, but I think he's got a chance to win a close decision. I think this one goes the distance, and I think it's going to come down to what you prefer in the end. And it's, that's very that's very true. It's going to come down to what you prefer. And I don't know. Like, you brought up greatness a second ago. And for me, greatness takes time. Like, like you know, Garbrandt has potential of being a great fighter. He's a good fighter right now. He has great skills. But greatness comes over time, you know, because what if he goes on there, loses this fight, then loses his next three fights? Then we're going to be like, oh, man, we jumped the gun. You know what? There's no need to put a, any type of label besides champion on Garbrandt because he's a champion right now. So let him defend the belt a few times, and then we can go on and add another label on top of that. that put, that's greatness. That's, that's true. You gotta, you gotta defend that. I mean, Anthony Pettis looked great for like three fights, right? You know, we thought he was, he was on a Wheaties box and look what happened since then. So you gotta, you can't just look great one time. Greatness, like you said, overtime. Who has looked great over time though, King Mo? The third title fight on this card is Joanna Young Jacek, Joanna Champion herself, defending for the sixth time that strawweight crown, this time against Rose Nama Yunus. With a win, she will tie Ronda Rousey's UFC women's record of title defenses. I really love this matchup, King Mo, and the main reason I do is that Rose is wired differently. So to beat Joanna, who really is dominant in every category almost, but has that mental advantage, that that inner strength, that toughness, 
that sort of has allowed her to get the edge whenever somebody is close. I feel like Rose is a wild card, but she has some of that. She hasn't always activated it, and she's been open about that. She says there's mental health issues in her family. She says herself, a lot of her success is based on emotions, and there's been fights where she wasn't in the right headspace, like when she when she lost the inaugural title fight to Carla Esparza in late 2014. Right now, though, coming off that Waterston win, Rose is really operating what I like to believe is the peak of what we're going to see of her. With that jujitsu, she may be mentally wired tough enough and be different enough where it's hard to, for me to just predict another Yoana title defense like I did against Andrade, like I did against Carolina. Tough girls who gave her tough fights in pockets. Rose is a wild card fighter, though. I mean, I give, I think she's a live dog in this one. Well, I think that, yeah, I think all the girls that fought Joanna, like with the last two girls, were wild dogs. It's just that um, Joanna tamed them. Um, great, great, now, great way Rose, to sum that up. Yes, Rose is she is wired differently because you, you know, she's a lot of intangibles because you don't know what we're gonna see. We've seen her look great, we've seen her look bad, but the thing is, we know that when she's looked good and she's looked sharp, that's when you know the sky's the limit. You know, it's just that will she show that for this fight? And I don't know. She's a good camp. I don't know, man. It's a toss. So I, I just feel like you know, if if Rose can make Joanna think, then it's, it's going to be a tough fight for Joanna. But if if Rose can't make Joanna think, then guess what? It's going to be the same fight that Joanna always has—a bunch of volume and damage. So it's going to come down to Rose. If Rose can make Joanna think and make her be cautious about some things, if she can do that, she can get the victory. But I'm not sure if she can do that. But We'll see. Well, she's going to have to make her be cautious in the striking because that's where I think Joanna's true advantage of any of the categories is in this fight. It's going to be on the feet. But Rose is long. She's awkward. She's different. I think like what you're saying, she's got to give Joanna something to think about. Maybe it's maybe it's her strength on the ground and her strength in jiu-jitsu to make Joanna not be the devastating seek and destroy standing fighter that she has been against some of these other opponents because if this fight is just a standing I mean Rose is going to lose she lost to Carolina when that fight I thought was on the feet way too long than it should have been at UFC 201 yeah and nothing about Carolina Carolina has I think she carries a little more power than uh than Rose does I'm not Rose than uh than um than Joanna does Joanna's Joanna's like a she reminds me of a Bisping type you know she lands she beat you up by just volume and just Breaking it down, chipping away here, chipping away there, chip tooth, check. Um, bloody nose, check. Eyes swelling up, okay, I'm gonna check that a few more times, to make it swell even more. And th- by by doing that, she systematically breaks you down. They're like Bisping does. I I just think that it's gonna take Rose to do something to make her think, to make her be like, I'm hit. Oh, whoa, what was that? Okay, let me rest- let me reset. Oh, I don't know what that is. I've never seen that before. I've seen it, but I'm not sure about it. Oh, what's that? Fine armbar. Okay, you know what? I'm not gonna tie up with the Muay Thai clinch no more. I'm going to stay out of that. If she can do things that make that that make um, Joanna, you know, freeze and make her coaches be like, you know what, Joanna, stay away from that position, then what, what that's doing is it's, it's actually Rose can ha- actually handcuff her and, make, and take away some of her skill set. If this goes to the ground, it's assumed that Rose, from her history, she can do a lot of unique creative submissions, would have an advantage. Joanna did talk, speak to that and said, if she wants to play on the ground, I will play on the ground and choke her out. That's the thing. If Rose can keep this fight on the ground, 
Is Joanna is, is she vulnerable in this spot? I mean, she's she's pretty much elite and exceptional, maybe even all time great across the board. But would you say that BJJ is the weakest suit of Joanna's game? Uh, mm, yeah, but not really. It's it's the weakest suit because it's, that's that's what she's known for. That's the only reason. If she, say she had a few submission wins, like big submission wins, and she's known for submissions, then yeah. But she's known for a pace and a striking. It, that 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 that's um, so scary to a lot of people that they forget that you know she has some grappling. I've seen her grapple before. She has some wrestling. I, I watch her train every day. But the thing is, people are so caught in her stand up and the fact that she has such a great pace and she has a big frame that they forget about the other skill sets she has. Very good breakdown on um, what it's going to take here for Rose. I think Rose, and I, I say this respectfully, is like I said, crazy enough, meaning mentally tough enough if she's if she's coming in with the right mindset to hang in this fight, to give herself a chance. But even with me, you know, painting for you a best case scenario for Rose, you're going to ask me about prediction, King Mo. I think Ioana's coming away with the sixth title defense because, man, you can be crazy enough to beat Ioana. But are you tough enough? Are you everything you need to be to finally give this woman a bad night? Carolina came really close, right? But even she could not win the five-round battle. I don't think Rose comes over the top. I'm just saying she may have a scary moment for Joanna. She may have a near submission. She's going to have a moment where she's going to be in this fight. But I think it goes the distance, and I think Joanna wins again. Yeah, you know it's going to come down to um, what happens Saturday. You know, I, I like Joanna in this fight, but you can't count out Rose because she has so many intangibles. And that's the main thing, intangibles. Because even on her feet, intangibles. She's wild, like not wild, but like she's calculated but wild on her feet. On the ground, she's calculated but wild on the ground. She has a bunch of stuff that like fine arm bars, like, you know, who knows? It could be like rolling heel hooks. She has stuff out there that you really don't see and you really don't really train for because it's how people get hurt. So I, I just I don't know. It's gonna come down to what she what new trick she has in the bag that you know she could she could whip out. And I've seen her I've seen her go for the flying armbar. I've seen her get it before, and she get she goes for it. She goes for it hard. She goes for it from like in random random situations that you don't see no people go for it for. You know. So I think that uh, she has some tricks up her sleeve. It would be interesting though if Joanna wants to pull a mighty mouse and basically go at your opponent's biggest strength and then beat them with that. If you see Joanna coming out with a submission victory here, then we're just gonna have to like put you know put the crown on her on her head and say you you know you are the queen. We we sorry we doubted you entering this matchup. You know that would be interesting to see if she can win that way. Well, it's possible when you when you when you're a volume fighter and you do a lot of damage and you get a person gassed. Damage plus gas equals, you know, the person trying to find a way out. Let me write that down. We got another King Mo math equation here for MMA. Damage plus gas. Oh, wait. It's like damage versus a lack of gas. Damage equals, plus a lack of gas equals what? Another, you're trying to find a way out. When you see a guy busted up bloody, you know what I'm saying? And, and they have, they have nothing left. They will try to, they'll, they'll either go swing for the fences to go on their shield or they just cover up and take a beating or they'll give you a submission. They'll give it to you. You got you got three, three options, and those are the three. King Mo rounding out the main card here, which is a very strong one. Welterweights. Wow. Some people think this might actually be the best fight on the card, even though it doesn't carry the same star power or titles. Stephen Thompson, Wonderboy, Jorge Masvidal, both coming off a loss. Both losses very high profile, right? Thompson in the title rematch to Woodley. Masvidal against Maya, which maybe cost him a potential title shot. Who do you like in this one? Because this one could be explosive. These guys love to finish. Uh, you know what? I got, I got, um, I got mastered on this fight. 
think he's smarter. I think he, I just with Wonder Boy. I, I think Wonder Boy his freestyle karate style is good. Uh, his his takedown his takedown defense got is pretty solid. His ground game has gotten a lot better because he's you know his, his thing is he's a brother in laws with Carlos Machado I believe or Jean Jacques Machado one of the two. And Weidman right? Isn't he brother in law with Chris Weidman too? Yeah, Weidman yeah Weidman Weidman yeah but I think he trained with Machado one of the two. I might be wrong. But uh, um, I don't know. I think Masvidal has experience, has the grit, can wrestle, has good jujitsu. Um, I I just think that the only way Masvidal can lose is if he keeps it doesn't doesn't use his hands. If he tries to just throw nothing but kicks, he'll be in trouble. But if he can mix up his punches with his kicks, to his knees, with his clinch work, with his takedowns, and make it as a dog fight, then we got we got a winner. Is, is there any danger for Wonder Boy in becoming a Machida where you, you came up on the scene, you had that difficult karate style, hard for people to adjust, but once they adjusted, it's not like you faded away. Machida's still a, a, a dangerous guy outside of the, the recent losing streak, but you get figured out. Is Thompson in danger of becoming that? Uh, I, You know what? It just depends, man. Because if, if Thompson can add some more to his arsenal, and you, like, you know, like, like MVP – but MVP, you see so much like, or like it's so it's so unorthodox. We don't know what to expect, you know. Um, flying knees, spinning heel kicks, like all sorts of stuff. Same thing with Wonder Boy, but now you're starting to see more and more predictability from Wonder Boy. You know, I think that I think he knows that. Hey, five rounds, I don't have the gas tank to throw all the spinning stuff out, you know, out there. If I miss, it's gonna drain me, and I can get tired. So with MVPs, you have to experience that. The moment MVP goes five rounds, we're gonna see a more conservative fighter. But at three rounds, those guys throw out throw out everything: tornado kicks, you know, spinning heel kicks, switch knees, all that stuff be, be thrown out there because they they can they can they can go at that pace and fight at throwing all that stuff out there for 15 minutes. But the moment it becomes 25 minutes, things change. I like Maz Vidal too in this one. I think he is so hungry, looking to put that Maya loss behind him and really make his statement. We close with middleweights, and I wonder here, Johnny Hendricks. Losing five of his last seven, going back to that welterweight championship defeat to Robbie Lawler in their 2014 rematch, going up against Paulo. How do you, how do you pronounce this? Bor, Boracina. I, I don't know, but I just know that I, it's crazy because you know I I'm pretty cool with uh some someone that that's cool with Johnny, you know, and he was like Mo, he's like Johnny took this fight without just took the fight, he, he like you know they offered it to him, he took the fight without knowing who the guy was, and was like whatever. It was like he just took it, and That's my friend, good. yeah, my friend said, "Hey, um, I looked at this guy. The guy's a big, a big, strong Brazilian. That's a killer, and and I don't think Johnny knew he was getting himself into. You know, I, I think Johnny just thought that hey, I'm fighting Brazilian. He's undefeated, but you know what? I'm gonna go out there and wrestle him or control him. And I don't think that he realized that he, this guy's a killer. And I'm I'm hoping Johnny is, you know, he's he's with Greg Jackson now. I'm hoping that Greg Jackson has a good game plan for him, and I hope Johnny can pull, come out this victory." I just don't know because I've never seen the guy he's fighting. The guy's making his UFC debut, right? Uh, Borchina, 10 and 0 overall, 2 and 0 in the UFC, both against names that we probably ha- don't, don't say too often on the show. But Hendricks, 34. He had a long history of not being able to make welterweight, right? Right, which is what pushed him to middleweight. Dana White basically pushed him to middleweight. And then he missed weight at middleweight in his last fight against Tim Bosch and suffered a TKO loss. Wow. This, this is, this could be the end. I mean, Five, you lose five of your last seven coming in. If he loses here in such a high-profile situation, King Mo, that would officially be 
just his second in a row, but uh, when you take the total of it, he's just not – nothing about Johnny Hendricks is going in the right direction, right, from making weight to, to the victories. You hope he can bounce back here. But that's a big-time fall for Grace if he doesn't when you talk about being, you know – having such a great fight against GSP, then winning the title against Lawler and looking like we've got a destroyer here. And then from that point, just three years ago to where we are now, that's a, that's a tough turn for one's career. Yeah. You know what? I'm just hoping that, um, I've known giant for a while, you know, um, known since he's a high school. I'm hoping that, you know, Greg Jackson and his new people he's working with have a good game plan and, uh, give him the victory and the press the victory. That's what I want for Johnny. Well, that is UFC 217, a very good card. I will be there at MSG. King Mo, will you, will you be making an appearance? I think I'll be there, too, with uh, the Gossip America top team because we're going to go there first before we head to Bound for Glory to handle business. In, uh... That's what we're talking about. Ch- cha-ching? Is that a cha-ching <laughs> right there? No, that's, that's a shot at Moose. Oh, Moose yeah. <laughs> with the Moose entrance. That's the Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory pay-per-view. Sunday night, Aberdeen Pavilion in Ottawa. You can watch that on pay-per-view for the Six Sides of Steel match. Moose and Stefan Bonner against your King Mo and Bobby Lashley. I'm expecting a good piece of business here, all right? Some action. You know, may, you know, maybe you and Bonner just get it gets so heated that you're like, we got to settle this in the Bellator cage, all right? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm going to try to book the territory for you, King Mo. I don't know anything. I'm just saying maybe. Bonner's not that crazy. He knows better. Oh, there it is. There it is. You can follow me on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. Follow the king at KingMoFH. We learned a new math problem this week, folks. Damage plus a lack of gas equals trying to find a way out. We are finding a way out of this podcast. King Mo, do you have two words for the people as we exit? We out. <laughs>